good to be here um, with you this evening. So uh, as Julie said, my name is Jennifer Bardell. I'm so excited to be here with you to continue discussing the next part of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the words we're going to focus on this evening are the world. And if you attended GLOW, you might remember Deidre talking about the word cosmos, the world, the great created order. And if you weren't able to attend, Deidre put up several breathtaking images of galaxies in the universe. You remember that for those who were here? Really, the images were stunning. But do you know the apex, the pinnacle of God's creation was human beings? So when we look at John 3.16, it begs the question, what was John envisioning when he wrote this? What was he thinking? Well, when John says, God so loved the world, he meant he loved us, you and me. So we're going to take apart our anchor verse, John 3.16, but today as we really drill down on the world, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This book is a letter that Paul is writing to a church that he had planted in Corinth. Now just a couple of words, little background info on Corinth in case you don't know much about it. Corinth was like the original sin city, okay? It was a port city, so it was a transient culture, and it was really a seedy kind of place. Imagine sailors coming and going, never really staying a long time. It is definitely not a, hey, let's move there to raise our kids kind of place. Think more like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, a little bit more like that. So with that in mind, Paul knew that, that faith in Christ was going to present a very different way of life for the people of Corinth. So as we look at the passage, bear that in mind. And you know, really, faith in Christ presents a very different way of life for us too, doesn't it? Radical Christianity calls for a very different way of life in our choices and in our habits. So we'll be spending time, as I said, in 2 Corinthians 5 in verses 16 through 21. So if you like to follow along, you can turn there and then we'll also have the verses on the screen. So we're going to start with looking at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. As I began reading this passage, my first insight was that being a new creation means a new me. When we're in Christ, we're new creations. You know, when God spoke the world into existence, he brought order. Really out of chaos, out of nothing, he brought order. And as he created the world, he called what he created good, 
And human beings he called very good. It was as if he was saying, this is as good as it gets. It is good, good, good. It's important to remember that original goodness was the starting point. We serve a good God, and all he created was good. And then, as we know, sin entered the world, right? It brought brokenness, and it distorted God's beautiful original design. And now, God's in the business of restoring his created order to its original beauty, what he originally intended. So when Paul says in verse 17, the old is gone and the new is here, he's saying all those past ways of doing and being and thinking are gone. They're gone. Gone is our focus on money, appearance, power, popularity, influence, looking at other people from a worldly vantage point, and all the ways I live for myself. There's a complete arrival of something new. The old is gone, the new is here. And ladies, I have to say it, if our lives, if our energy, attention, focus, what's running through our minds, has to do with appearance and money and material goods, that is living out of the old. And I'm right there with you in it, same struggles, but it's old creation. It is not new. God's given his one and only son that we might live as new creations. It means change. You know, when I think of a new creation, I can't help but thinking of the transformation of caterpillar to butterfly. And it was so funny. Those of you that heard Lynn Watson a couple of weeks ago, she showed the little tattoo with the butterfly. I sat in amazement when I listened to her message. This was already developed when she talked about that. And so what that tells me is God has something here, so it's time to lean in. For me too, it's time to lean into it. So one day, the caterpillar will just stop eating. It hangs upside down for a twig or a leaf, from a twig or a leaf, and it spins itself into a little silky cocoon or a shiny chrysalis. And within its protective casing, the caterpillar radically transforms its body, and it emerges as a butterfly. And this new life happens from the inside out. And you know, that's a little bit like what happens to us in this process. As we become a new creation, little by little, opportunity to die to self comes. And by die to self, I mean to lay down my will, my desires, my agenda, my plan, my way, and defer to God. Allow it to be his agenda, his will, his way, his plan. This is transformation. This is the change of the formation of your being. It's renewal of your mind, and it's a changed heart. 
And this is what Paul is saying in verse 17. He's saying to these people, think Corinth, the place I was describing, Vegas, you are a new creation. I want you to know this so you'll live into it. It's beautiful. Look at it. You're new. So the question I have for all of us this evening is, are we walking in the new? Are we? Do we operate as if the old is really gone? However halting our growth is, new life in Christ involves change. It must. Something else I noticed as I read these verses is that being a new creation means a new POV. So let's back up and take a look at verse 16. And it says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So here the word regard means we form our estimate of. We judge or we're influenced by. It's actually the way we see. It's the way we see. And Paul is saying, now our estimate is of other people is formed by new and different views other than the way we've always regarded people. He's saying our view is new. Our view is new. I recently learned about this POV thing um, from one of my much younger teammates who was probably here a few weeks ago. Uh, it's really trending on Instagram, apparently. <clears throat> and so when people say, you know, this is my POV right now, or they're, they're talking about their, what they're seeing, what they're looking at. So I thought I'd share my POV frequently. <laughs> so sometimes you just, you just post what you're viewing. So this is my golden doodle maverick on the left pitiful, and my Bernadoodle Nala. Mavi clearly does not know how to sit the way a dog is supposed to sit. You all, I thought it was the slick floor. He sits like this no matter where he is, and it's like he doesn't know to, his legs are supposed to bend. They're supposed to, and Nala, you know, looks great. I take pictures of him from the back. He literally is like this. I mean, it just, it is the funniest looking thing. So anyway, that's, that's a current POV for me. Another thing <clears throat> that's POV is my new grandson, Bear. <clears throat> he will be four months old, October uh, 30th, and here he is trying to sneeze. Gives a little smile here. Look at his little smile. Uh, okay, so 
POVs are popular. It's really just what I just did. It's a way to share things that, that bring you joy or embarrassment or laughter or uh, maybe dismay or sadness. We all have a point of view. We all do. For me right now, it's Maverick and Bear a lot. For you, it might be your loved ones. It might be vacations or food you're eating or plants. Somebody said plants are all over social media. Either, either way, it's what and how we see. Whatever it is that you see or however it is that you see it, it's your point of view. God is saying here, you are a new creation. Now I want you to see from my point of view. I want you to look at things from my perspective. I want you to see the way I see. And if we think again about the transformation Nope. Let's try this. There we go. If we think again about the transformation of the caterpillar to butterfly, what happens is this little guy wiggles himself into a little tomb and he dies to himself. He dies. And then he emerges a beautiful creature with wings. Caterpillar to butterfly. And with it comes a changed perspective. And if you think about it, caterpillars never see things that butterflies see. Have you ever thought about that? They never will see what a butterfly will see. The caterpillar says, I've got my little leaf over here. I've got my little branch over here. I'm content to live in my own little world. At best, he's going to see different perspectives of a leaf. All he's going to see is caterpillar stuff. If you compare that to what a butterfly sees, a butterfly flies. It sees differently because it has a different perspective. It can see a whole new world that's never available to the caterpillar. And just like when you're a caterpillar, You have no idea you're missing this entire perspective. But once you become a butterfly, it's like, wow, I had no idea. No idea. And that's the difference. That's the life God is calling us to. Meeting Christ, understanding our forgiveness, knowing that God so loved the world. So the question here is, in what ways specifically do we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view? Specifically, how? How, like the butterfly, has our perspective changed? As a follower of Christ, ladies, you have been changed. You're changed. Have you been able to transfer that to the way you see other people? If not, ask God to change your point of view. So to recap, being a new creation means a new me, and being a new creation means a new POV. And lastly, 
Being a new creation means a new ministry. Being a new creation means a new ministry. If we look back at the passage in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, in the 18 through 21 piece, you'll see the word reconciliation. I think it's there five times in this passage. Anytime a word is, free, is mentioned over and over, if it recurs, pay attention. It's important. So let's take a look uh, specifically at verse 18. And it says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When Paul talks about a ministry of reconciliation, he's saying we all have this ministry. Sometimes we hear the words ministry and we think, oh, that's for the pastors at the church. No, no, no. This ministry belongs to each and every one of us. We all have the ministry. What God has done for us, we turn and extend to others. That's the ministry of reconciliation. To be reconciled means that we are at peace with God. If you'll remember, creation was originally good. Remember, we talked about that. We were created for fellowship and friendship with God. It was sin that created opposition between God and us. And Jesus took that opposition away through his sacrifice, and he restored us to right relationship with God again. If you've ever experienced turmoil in um, a relationship with another person, whether it be a family member, maybe a coworker or a friend, you know the feeling that a broken relationship brings. It's miserable, right? We, We want reconciliation. We want pain and suffering to end. It throws everything off for us. And in a way, even though it's different, in a way, this is what God wanted. He wanted reconciliation. He desires you. And because we could not do it, God settled the relationship between us and him. We were unable to do it. So he took care of it because he so loved the world. And now we are to settle relationships with one another. When, when I was in my sophomore year in college, uh, my mother had her third back surgery. And she had a lot of pain, but as she recovered, she developed a narcotics addiction that forever changed our family, changed everything. It resulted in deep pain, in a great deal of suffering, and absolutely broke relationships. I, I lost the mother that I had, the wonderful mother that I knew. And if you're close with someone entrenched in addiction or you ever have been, you know the heartache that comes with this. So one morning in the midst of all of this turmoil, 
My mom came over to babysit our then two-year-old Jake. Now, Jake is 26 years old now, so it's been just a few minutes. But when she came up to the front door, I had walked to the front door and was in the process of opening it. And having taken too much medication, she tripped over a step and spilled coffee all over the front door, all over me. She was clearly in no position to babysit, wasn't able to babysit. And you know, typically after incidents like this, if I ever tried to address the situation or confront it even mildly in any way, she often would not speak to me for months. I would would just be shut out. And for whatever reason, I believe God orchestrated this It was just too much for me on this particular day. And after she left, I got in the car and I drove to Lifeway Christian Bookstore. I don't even know if it's open anymore. But, and I didn't normally go there, which was also odd. And um, I walked straight up to a shelf of books and picked up a book titled Changes That Heal. And I don't know if any of you have ever read it, that it is about the fact that God has boundaries and that in our relationships with our parents, we need boundaries. So what do those boundaries look like? How do you become healthy in that? It's by Cloud and Townsend, the boundaries people. So I took that book and I went home and I got my Bible and I curled up on my couch And I promise you, for the next three days, I read through that book, marked the thing up like crazy, read through my Bible, was trying to make sense, and I begged God to show me how to move forward. I was so stuck. I could not change her. I could not change my mother. And I definitely couldn't change the situation. I was really angry. And I was hurt, but I knew inside I was supposed to love her. I knew it. How do you love someone creating that kind of pain? How? From my point of view, it seemed like she should be stronger and she should stop. It was destructive. Who does that? From my perspective, in all honesty, I felt loved less than the medication. If you really get down to it, I felt less important than a pill. At the end of these three days, with some clarity, I stood. And I might have been wobbling, so to speak, but but I stood and I moved forward. I learned how to set some boundaries and I learned how to function in a relationship with her. It has taken years of working toward healing, but I forgave her. And you know what I did? I asked God to show me how he saw my mom. And then I asked him to give me a heart willing to see her that way. I made things right on my end as best I could. 
It does not mean the relationship was fully restored. It does not mean there was change in behavior or that everything was repaired. It was not. But I did what I could to settle the relationship on my end. And that is what God asks us to do. As people made in the image of God, reconciliation is in our DNA. It's part of our identity as disciples of Jesus Christ. People will know we're God's children because we bear the family likeness. Given peace from God, we build peace. I'd like to encourage you to become curious about others' stories. Ask God for the courage to maintain a spirit of curiosity over a spirit of judgment. When something goes wrong in a relationship, I want to encourage you to pause, step back, or pan out and ask God where he is in the situation. Ask him what he's doing, what his perspective might be. It's looking at it differently than the way we have always seen it before. That's what I couldn't get out of. I honestly felt no compassion, and it was disturbing to me. I needed God's perspective. We have blessings and we have benefits as children of God, but we have responsibilities. God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. When we live as new creations, we see differently, we have a new ministry, and as we walk in the truth that God has settled the relationship between us and him, that's engaging in kingdom living. That's it, right there. This new life in Christ is sometimes described as the kingdom of God. When Jesus came to earth, he ushered in the kingdom. And we bring the kingdom of God to the world when we live lives of love. That's the kingdom. So here's the question. Do we understand that as children of God, part of our responsibility is this ministry of reconciliation? Are we living it? Let's get real. Are we living it? Are we doing it? One of my favorite quotes by Dallas Willard is this. The kingdom of God is God reigning. It's present wherever what God wants done is done. It's the natural home of the soul. The kingdom of God is God reigning. It's present wherever what God wants done is done. It's the natural home of the soul. The kingdom of God is not something we are waiting on. It will come in fullness eventually, but it is available to us right now. And as followers of Christ, when God reigns in our lives, whenever what he wants done is done, that's kingdom living. And because it's the natural home of our soul, we sense it's right. We know it's the way it's supposed to be. 
Periodically, uh, as I sit with God in the early mornings with lots of strong coffee, I'll add, sometimes a pot, I take stock of my life. Uh, I look at my life not so much anymore from a place of judgment, but really from honest reflection. I'm 55 years old. I journeyed with God for 35 years. And when I sit with God like this, I'm asking him to show me evidence of the new. Am I living like a new creation in Christ? Am I? How do I know? What's the evidence? Am I, am I like the caterpillar with my little plant over here and my branch over here, content to live in my own little world? focused on my things, or am I more like the butterfly, a new creation, transformed with a new perspective? Do I see differently? Am I living in the kingdom, or am I living in my kingdom? I'm going to close this evening by reading the message translation of 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. And I'd like to invite you just to sit back, close your eyes, and let these words just fall fresh on you today. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life emerges. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. Let's pray. God, we are fractured, forgiven, works in process, reconciled to you through Jesus. Thank you for making a way where we can be made new. In our community where there's fracture instead of flourishing and there's hurt, God, so much hurt rather than healing, we ask for your 
restoration, your reconciliation, and we ask for transformation. Let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.